from the Gospel of Luke. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. We're going to be spending our time this morning in the Gospel of Luke, and yes, this passage is about money, who it belongs to and how it ought to be spent. So consider that my, uh, what is it, the Surgeon General's uh, warning label to the sermon, because it's an important topic, and I don't want to come at you sideways about it. And I understand that talking about money uh, anywhere and in church can be a difficult subject. Uh, Not only is money regarded as a deeply personal thing, which we'll get to in a few minutes, Uh, but our society is so heavily commercialized that it feels like everyone is trying to sell us something. Would you agree? Think about this. By the age of 20, the average adult has seen over a million commercials. Now, if these commercials are 30 seconds long, as many of them are, that means that by the age of 20, they will have seen 347 days' worth of commercials. That's almost a year of their life. That's a lot. Uh, Not only that, but between the the billboards, the logos, the advertisements, commercials, and everything you see every day, the average person is exposed to upwards of 4,000 advertisements per day. Again, seems like everybody is trying to sell us something, and so I don't blame any of us for a little bit of cynicism when we approach the topic of money. Would you agree? It's understandable to be a little bit cynical to talk about money, but that's why I want to let you… Uh, know up front that this passage, and while tithing is important, which we'll get to, this passage is not primarily talking about tithing. So, if, if that would be a stumbling block for you to receive what Scripture is telling you about money and, and how it relates to us, I would I'd like to rip off that Band-Aid right now, all right? This is not a sales pitch to you. We are talking about what Scripture says about money. Amen? You all follow me on that? Okay, good. I just want to get that out of the way. So, Here's how we know that the parable is not primarily talking about tithing, which we will get to, um, because there's another group listening in. Let me explain this to you. Jesus is talking to the disciples, right? We see that. In in fact, it might be helpful if you use your bulletins to follow along with the passage, because it's a tricky one. There's the, Jesus is talking to the disciples, but if you go down to verse 14, which I did not put in your bulletin, and I should have, there's another group listening in to his conversation. It's the Pharisees. This is what it says in verse 14, which you don't have in your bulletin. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. So Jesus is talking to disciples, but there's another group eavesdropping. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you know somebody else is listening? Anybody ever do that? You're talking to somebody, but you know, you know somebody else is kind of listening into what's going on. Um, so, and, and Jesus calls the Pharisees, what? Lovers of money. So, here's the thing about the Pharisees, though, that you might not know, because we like to get, not, maybe not we, I, like to get a little judgmental about Pharisees, right? The Pharisees all tithed already, all of them. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is actually lambasting the Pharisees about many different things, but He said, you know, but they do tithe um, even a tenth of their uh, herbs and spices, which, by the way, don't do that. If you're going grocery shopping, you can keep your groceries at home. We don't need those. Um, but, you know, he is, what he's saying is the Pharisees, the Pharisees already tithe. What Jesus is primarily talking about is giving over and above the tithe, over and above the 10%. Does that hurt a little bit? Does that sting a little bit for anybody in here? 
That, you know, that, that's a lot of money. Would you agree? I mean, 10% of your income is already a lot of money. Would you agree? I mean, it feels like that sometimes. But Jesus is talking about giving over and above. So let's look, let's get to our passage and see exactly what Jesus is talking about because um, this is actually maybe his most difficult parable. So let's look at, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2, and you can follow the rest along in your bulletin. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this manager was wasting his possessions. And he called to him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the accounts of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So what's happening here? I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. A manager is, is uh, misusing his master's possessions, and he gets caught, right? And so the master says, we'll talk about this later. Have you ever had one of those conversations? Do you all remember your parents' voices maybe? We'll talk about this later. Or your spouse, you know, we'll deal with this when you get home. Or your boss, you know, I want to I meet with you at 4.30, and you have, you know, six hours, eight hours of your day to sweat about it, right? I mean, that's, that's what's happening here. We'll talk about this later. And so we have a man who was given much, he mismanaged it, and now he's really sweating it out, right? Now he's in trouble. He's about to be called to account, so what does he do? He's like, well, I'm going to get fired. I mean, there's no way to avoid that. So let's try to make things a little more comfortable for me, and let me try to make some friends so that when this day of judgment comes, right, when his time of judgment is at hand, he's prepared for it. He's prepared for it. So what does he do? He goes, and he, he starts calling in all the debtors in a frenzy, and you can tell it's in a frenzy because he's just slashing money left and right, right? One, one guy comes up to him, and he's like, how much do you owe? You know, a whole bunch of oil. All right, let's cut that in half. Write it off. Can we be pals, right? Then another guy comes in. It's like, how much do you owe of wheat? He's like, well, I want you to cut off, was it 20% of the wheat because I want to make sure that you, uh, you know, that, you know, we get on good terms before I lose my ability to do this. Y'all follow me on that so far? I mean, it's, you know, he's getting in there and he's just hacking away at debts that aren't his. In fact, he's spending money that isn't his because his time is short. He's spending money that has been entrusted to him that isn't his because his time is short. So, let's continue. And this is where Jesus does a little bit of a twist, right? Because you would think the manager would, the master would just be angry. I mean, he's being defrauded. But this is what he says. Uh, the manager's grand plan saved himself by, by cutting his money. The, the master responds to it and he commends him on his shrewdness. Does that seem bizarre to you? Anybody else? Right? The master's like, well, I'm commending you. That was really clever. Now, catch this. Is the master commending him on his integrity? No. Is he saying, you know, you're a really good guy, and you know what? All is forgiven. No. He's commending him on his shrewdness. And you all have done that, right? You've had somebody who gets one over on you, and you're like, that was really well done. I'm pretty angry about it, but you did a good job. You know, you, you know I've got two pint-sized ones running around my house right now. And so what you do when you have things that you don't want little kids to get is you put them up high so they can't reach it, right? I mean, obviously, it's easy. Well, a few months ago, Gabriel figured out that he could start moving chairs around the house and stack things on top of each other to reach whatever he wanted, right? So when I walk in the room and I see this, you know, my, you know my first thought is, that was really clever. Now it's time for you to go and time out, right? I mean, that's, that's what's happening here. That's why he's being commended. So the, again, the manager's not being committed for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness. He knew his time was short, right? His judgment day was coming. And so he, he prepared for it by giving away that which was not his 
and that which he could not take with him so that he would be prepared for the outcome. You all see where I'm going with this? He gave away that which was not his and that which he could not take with him to prepare for the outcome. And Jesus uses this parable to make his point with the disciples that the, that, uh, and, and with the Pharisees who were standing by that if even the godless are shrewd enough to use their resources in anticipation of the future, then Christians should also use their resources with an eternal perspective in mind. Christians should use their resources with an eternal perspective in mind. And I've got to ask you that. How often do you make decisions with an eternal perspective on my, in mind, financial decisions? How many things do you invest in? How many things do you spend money on with an eternal perspective in mind? I mean, we've all made poor choices with money, right? We've all spent, uh, we've all gotten into, um, you know, we've all gotten into a bad situation over, over a bad choice. We've all bought things we didn't need, you know, things that we didn't use, things that uh, immediately, uh, you know, got sold in the next garage sale. So we've all made poor decisions, but how many of us regularly make decisions with an eternal perspective in mind? How often do you take the long view when you invest your finances? You know, there's a, there are a bunch of articles um, going around a few months ago about, about groups that would take trees and they would plant them. And, the re, and they planted trees and they knew that they were never going to be old enough. They weren't going to be around when the, tr- when the trees reached their great height. You know, when everybody commended them for their activity, they're like, you know, you're not even going to see the beauty of what you're investing in but it's a good thing to invest in it regardless. You all follow me when I say that? Well, how much more important, how much better is it to invest in, oh, I don't know, planting the seed of the gospel in the heart of a child? Whether or not you're going to be around to see that come into full bloom. Here's another idea of an eternal perspective. How, how about supporting a missionary who makes it their life work to share Christ with tribes who would otherwise go entire generations without knowing the gospel? Are you going to see a direct return on that money? How about looking at things with an eternal perspective? Here's another one. Um, Supporting seminarians who devote themselves to studying the Word of God. Custodians and keepers of the faith that that have been entrusted to us, you know. That one's big for me. I went to a seminary on a scholarship, and 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 a substantial scholarship, given by people I've never met and and who I will never meet because they invested money with something eternal in mind, with an eternal perspective in mind. Or even this, you know, providing for the physical needs of the poor and powerless, and doing so, so that they can see the work of Christ in you. You know, uh, Father Rodriguez mentioned last week that this church has received over $10,000 in donations to the Bahama Relief Fund. Again, people who will never be able to thank you who will never be able to shake your hand and express their appreciation, but it's an investment with an eternal perspective in mind. And you know, these investments are things that we are all called to contribute to, regardless of your age or your financial means. Here's what I mean. When my wife and I first got married, my wife, my wife knowing that I was really great with money, uh, decided to enroll us in a Christian financial planning class. Uh, you know, that was, that was a really smart thing that she did, a way to safeguard her future with her husband who was a bit uh, wasteful. And so we, so we enrolled in this uh, Christian financial planning class. And, uh, you know, I was a seminary student at the time, and I was working three or four jobs on any given week, right? I was probably like 
uh, was I worked at Starbucks. I was a very part-time youth director at the very beginning of our marriage. I was a tutor for students after school, and then sometimes I drove pizzas around, right? It was like, what can I do to make sure that I stay afloat? Now, my wife and I were already tithing at this point. We were raised, raised by giving straight 10% to the church. That was already in our DNA, right? So, so that was already done. But I go and take this class, and uh, the man starts talking about giving. And I was like, yeah, I give. Like that, you know, box checked, right? Like I already, I already do the 10% thing. And it hurts, right? It hurt, but I do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. I mean like giving an offering, like over and above the tithe. Just like, okay, that sounds a little absurd, but, but let's talk about this. And, and I went and I showed him on his, because I was, you know, smart mouth. I showed him on this roadmap that he had about financial success and how to plan for your financial future, right? The first circle that you have is you save up an emergency fund of like $1,000. You'll hear of these things, like Dave Ramsey does one of these too. It's like step one, save up $1,000. Step two, pay off credit card debt. You know, step three, I don't remember what it was, you know, obviously I paid a lot of attention. Step three, it was, you know, uh, save up for a down payment on a home or some such thing. And I'm showing him this map that, you know, he, he showed us, and it's like, where does it say giving? You know, is that after I save up my emergency fund? That seems smart. How about after I get out of debt? Because, you know, interest kills you. That seems like you wait until you get after debt to start giving. Would you all agree? That makes worldly financial sense. And he said, no. He said, go back to the beginning, before the emergency fund. In fact, start looking at things that God is calling your heart to give to today. It's like, well, wait a minute. That's, that, you know, that's nowhere in the plan. And, he, and, he, and then he sat down and he showed me this. And, and um, this was really impactful for me. He, he brought me to actually this passage in verses 10 and 11. So if you've got your bulletin, please look with me. He said, you know, the Bible says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And he told me something that you all probably already know. As your income increases, so do your expenses. As you get your first job um, and your career starts, you start spending all the money that comes in and then some. And as you get a raise, you've already earmarked that for something that you've been waiting for, right? As your income increases, so do your expenses. And they've done tons of studies on this that have shown that somebody who makes $20,000 a year and somebody who makes $400,000 a year both feel squeezed by money. Why is that? Because your expenses increase alongside your income. And that's what Scripture's saying right here. You know, don't wait until you have enough because guess what? You will never have enough. You will never feel like you have enough to start giving. And then my instructor told me the story of the widow in Luke chapter 21. You know the story of the widow's might? Jesus is sitting at the temple, and he's with the disciples, and he's watching people put money in the money box, which we don't do here, right? We're not filming you. Um, but he's watching people put money in the money box, and all of these um, wealthy people are putting in a lot of money. And then a little widow comes in, and she's got two little coins, and she puts her two little coins in. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you know, she gave more than anyone else. It's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? They gave, you know, thousands of dollars and she's putting in two pennies. And he's like, well, everyone else gave out of their abundance. But she gave everything that she has. And he said, this, that's an incredibly important point. What she gave cost her something. 
You know, when the Bible talks about giving, it talks in percentages and not a flat rate. Have you noticed that? Percentages? You know why that is? It's because, and this was in a book that we read about this, um, we are called to equal sacrifice and not equal giving. We're called to equal sacrifice and not equal giving. That means that when God sees uh, that in God's mind and God's heart, for somebody who makes $10,000 a year to give $1,000 is more meaningful than somebody who makes $100,000 a year is giving $5,000. It's not ultimately about the amount given, but the cost that it puts on you. And do you know why that is? Because giving is a supremely pastoral issue. If it was not a pastoral issue, the Bible wouldn't talk about it as often as it does. Do you know there are over 2,350 Bible verses related to money and possessions? Did you know that 15% of everything that Jesus talks about during his time on earth is about money? Do you think that Jesus is preaching about this because he wants to take money with him back to the Father? Do you think God tells us about this because God needs your money? No, it's a pastoral issue. It's an issue of the heart. That's why we're all called to give until it costs us something, until we have to sacrifice something for our giving. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with the last few verses. Money is an important pastoral matter, and these last few verses actually give us a little bit of insight as to why it's a pastoral matter. So if you want to look at your bulletins, I'm going to be um, in verses 11 and 12. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you, and underline that, the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? This is an important thing. You know, our society teaches us that you own what you possess. Our society teaches us that you own what you possess, but that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are only stewards and managers of what is God's. We are only ever stewards and managers of what is God's. God is the creator of all things, and he never revoked his ownership. You know that, right? He is responsible for the breath in your lungs and the opportunities that you have had and the talents that you have to have made use of those opportunities. That's all God's. You have worked for it, absolutely. But even you are God's if you are a Christian. You have given your life to him. We are not owners, we are stewards. You know, in a few minutes, um, we're going to have Sam come up and get baptized here. And one of the hardest things about a baptism, one of the hardest things for a parent, is a one of the things that a baptism is doing is it's a public declaration that this child that we have is not ours to own, but ours to steward, and it is ultimately God's child. We're just stewards. We're just caretakers. That's a hard lesson for any parent. And if that's true, how much more so with money? It's not yours. We must never forget that we're stewards because if we do, then what we own ends up owning us. Let's look at the last verse and then we're going to close out. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here's why. Here's why giving and having a steward's heart and not an owner's heart is so important. You all see a Christmas carol? You know that with Scrooge? You all familiar with Scrooge? You remember Marley's ghost? What did he wear? What did he have? Chains. And what were those chains tied to? Do you remember? Money boxes. 
He was tied and chained and bound by his money boxes. You know, there's a reason, and you're all familiar with Vanderbilt. There's a reason that Vanderbilt said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. There's a reason that Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. There's a reason that Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. And John Jacob Astor, the first millionaire in the United States, do you know what he said? I am the most miserable man on earth. Now, that sounds like a good problem for most of us to have, right? Like, sign me up for that problem. Um, But the answer is, the reality is that if you forget that the money is not yours to own, but only yours to manage, it loses its life-giving power for you and becomes a brutal and thankless master. And you walk around with a tight-clenched, tight-fisted hand instead of one that's able to offer things freely as they come across you. So I would would encourage you to do this. Uh, Don't squander the true riches the true riches, the riches of God's grace and His mercy and His love, all of which are freely given for us to own and that cannot be snatched out of our hands for earthly wealth. Don't gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. You know, the things that God has given us to be stewards over our children, our possessions, our money, our talents, and our gifts, these are not the true riches of God that He's given for our ownership. You know, there's going to come a day when You're on your deathbed, and you will have nothing left but you and God. There's going to become a moment where it's nothing left but you and God. And you're going to realize on that moment that God is the one who has given himself to you to possess. And he who has God and nothing, nothing else, has just as much as he who has God and everything else. He's it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would provide us uh, with opportunities to uh, relinquish what you have given us to steward, that you will provide us opportunities to be good managers and good stewards of your money so that we may keep our heart free from entanglement and that we may be free to love you well and receive your love as the only thing that is of utmost importance to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.